Hey, 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 episode 26 on Cashflow Candy today. It's Annette Lakovich here, and today I bring you Diane A. Ross. Diane was a sought-after litigation lawyer for 14 years. Now come out all guns blazing in an incredible communication style, be able to help you diffuse and have difficult conversations. Yes, that's what we're diving into today. A little bit more about Diane, a semi-finalist in the North America's Next Best Speaker Competition, hosted by the prestigious E-Women Network. If you haven't checked them out, jump online, check them out. They're one of the biggest networks around the world uh, for women in networking. She's the author of The Elephant in the Office, Super Simple Strategies for Difficult Conversations at Work. Look, we might have them as entrepreneurs, even as Diane says, with, let's just say, our graphic designer, with our uh, virtual team, whoever it might be, with our staff, with our team members. This is what we're going to dive into deep today. Just a little side note, she's also uh, written a book called Do You Want to Be Right or Do You Want More Sex? 50 Quickies to a Happier Wife. (laughs) So uh, if you're on Amazon, check that out because uh, uh, that's just a really cool little side note about her. Let's get into what we're going to learn today. We're going to learn the importance of having reaction management plan when you're going to go into a difficult conversation. The secret to manage other people's reactions because this is what happens. We think we go into a conversation, right? And we didn't realize that the person was going to react a specific way. And she's also going to give you the insider secrets to keep yourself calm and how to handle your own beast and make sure that your reactions are in check so you stay on track with the correct wording. She actually dives in deep with some different scenarios and words you can actually use that help diffuse the situation. I know in negotiation skills, there's words we can use that totally just can kill it. And that's what actually makes our customers flare up. Um, situations flare up with our family. Uh, So please sit back, enjoy this. This is actually quite a long interview today. Diane and I go way back. So two great talkers, great takeaway. Let me introduce you to Diane A. Ross. Hi, this is Annette Lakovich and you're listening to Cashflow Candy. Join me while I interview successful entrepreneurs, business specialists, and share the ultimate information, helping you increase your sales, doing what you love. So let's start making some candy for your business. I've brought a guest on who I fell in love with the, the day that I met her. I uh, recently went over to America and I was in a mastermind group over there with a, a high-end level women. And there's some people that you're just naturally attracted to. And this lady, she had strength in her voice and she is just very real polished. And I don't know, I just liked her. She just had this, just a really like sassy type of feel. She was, just seemed really cool. And we just hit it off. And for the whole mastermind, we were like besties and, and hung out most of the time. So I'm just going to welcome everyone to Diane A. Ross. How cool is that name? Welcome, Diane. Oh, thank you so much, Annette. It's just such a pleasure to be here. It's just, yeah, it was so awesome to meet you and to connect and, and to be able to share um, when we met. Just mm, awesome. Yeah. And guys, um, it's, it's so important when you hear this all the time, your network equals your net worth. And how often do you meet somebody at a networking event? And this wasn't a networking event, it was a mastermind, but yeah, we just sort of network as well. And you stay in contact. And Diane is the one lady from the mastermind group that I continually stay in contact with. And it's just great to have that support buddy, especially in entrepreneurship, where somebody knows the highs and lows that we go through. So, Diane, I just want to say thank you for being there for my roller coaster rides. And um, I've loved being on your journey as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm so grateful. It's been amazing. I've learned so much from you. And like you say, just when you get that connection with people, you know, you can just learn so much and support each other so much, especially as entrepreneurs, it just, it can make such a difference to really just taking your business to that next level. It's just, yeah. it's so awesome. Yeah. So tell me, um, the dreaded words that most people, you know, don't want to hear is, you know, we need to talk. <laughs> How does a litigation lawyer go into an entrepreneur? Talk to us about first your journey. And then I'd love to dive in deep about your book, The Elephant in the Office. Um, and how we try to avoid those difficult conversations. So please tell me, you know, how does a litigation officer, uh, sorry, litigation lawyer get to where you are today? 
Well, that's a great question because, um, you know, as a, as a lawyer, especially as a litigation lawyer, which is a courtroom lawyer, um, you know, you're, you really actually believe, or at least I certainly believe that I was this master expert communicator. And, um, and I had that illusion for quite a number of years. I practiced for about 14 years. And, you know, as, um, as a litigation lawyer, when you can't resolve conflicts through mediation and all these various kinds of tactics, you go to court. And so much of your training and the way that you are set up to succeed is to really be always thinking about how to prove your point, how to prove that you're right, how to think about all the possible arguments and all the possible permutations and make sure you have answers for all of those. And of course, you're always thinking about, well, what's the other side going to say? What are they going to come up with? How are they going to present their case? So, of course, you can counter all of those things. Uh-huh. And then the, the biggest piece of, of, you know, the courtroom is cross-examining witnesses, you know, really looking for those opportunities to catch people in, you know, even if it's not a mistruth, it's an inconsistent statement or just the, the most, the tiniest of things. And then it's your opportunity to move in and really just like, you know, hammer them to the wall and really get them. So that kind of approach is- <laughs> I'm just laughing at even the words that you're saying. It's just so, there's such, um, uh, I don't know if it's the word, the ag- aggressive, not aggressive as in anger, but just the the, the way, like just looking for the tactics. Are just, uh, it's just so interesting. Keep going, please. Yeah, I, I would definitely say it is aggressive. And, you know, because when you get to that point, it's, it's you, know, be, you know, as a lawyer, you're hiring somebody to advocate your point of view. And so somebody wins and somebody loses when you mm. go to court. It's like winner takes all. And the, the problem for me is like I started to, it becomes natural, right? When you start to do this kind of communication all the time. And I, I'll never forget, I did a, a trial for my brother-in-law in, you know, in the early days. And, you know, it was one of those situations, it's every lawyer's dream where they, you know, the main witness was, you know, caught in all these inconsistent statements and you just sort of move in for the, for, you know, to really the to <laughs> the kill. As soon as I was going to try and find another word, but I just can't <laughs> and I remember you know, when I left the courtroom that day, I really didn't think anything of it. And my brother-in-law turned to me and he said, I will never mess with you, Diane, ever. <laughs> and I was like, really? He's like, that was scary. And I just, I didn't even think anything of it. But the problem, Annette, was for me is I took that kind of an approach that I'm going to I'm gonna be strategic. I'm going to have all the arguments. I'm going to, you know, be ready for every response you're going to have. And I took that into my marriage. Mm-hmm. And my husband is, he's not exactly what you call a wilting wallflower. You know, he's a doctor. He's got pretty strong views and opinions. And we basically, every time we got into conflict, every time we had a disagreement, it became like a courtroom battle. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I was, I had a little bit of the upper hand, <laughs> which you know, in the moment, sometimes that feels good. I think everybody has been there where, you know, you get into this conflict and you, you, you know, you really prove your point only to end up having a lot of other problems mm-hmm. down the road. And, you know, it sort of became, we definitely became one of those couples where we were really, we were like the Bickersons and, you know, people <laughs> just were like, it, it was terrible. They wanted to avoid it, but I never, wow. ever, I didn't see my role in it. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until shortly after my 40th birthday party, uh, I'll never forget this. I'm so grateful to my my dear friends, Ann and Steve. I was went over to their house, as I had many other times, to have a glass of wine after a long day. And they're what I like to call my 4 a.m. friends because they're friends who, you know, the type I mean, where you can call them anytime, day or mm-hmm. night, and yeah. they're just there for you because they love you and they're those they're true friends and I was I remember I was going on about the latest you know irritation or transgression on my husband's part and I remember my aunt my friend Anne turning to me and she you know she very gently took her hands in mine and she looked you know she looked right into my eyes and she said Di I don't know how to tell you this but I want I I have to tell you this and it's because I love you so much but when you talk like this, when you're when you're so negative, you know, it just makes you look bitter. And I know that's not the kind of person that you are. Oh, and she just had this, the tears were welling up in her eyes. And I remember just that, I just had that lump in my throat and my face, you know, started to feel warm from the embarrassment. But I also felt so much compassion from her. Mm-hmm. And her, her husband, Steve, put his arm around my shoulder and he said, Di, 
we just we just love you so much and we know this isn't who you are and this isn't who you want to be and that was the night that everything changed for me wow. and I remember when I left that night at that time I had my sons were eight and five years old and as I left I thought what kind of role model am I for my two young sons if this is how I deal with conflict mm-hmm that's not the kind of mother I want to be. That's not the kind of person I want to be. And that was the thing that said, okay, I, I better take action. <laughs> I better wow. do something. Yeah. And I'm not the kind of person who's like, okay, I'm going to sit around and think about it. I'm like, no, I'm going to do something. I mean, I was 40. Mm-hmm. I figure if you're going to do something drastic, that's the age. <laughs> and so I, I quit my job. I wow. quit my job. And then I'm in the position of saying, well, what the heck does a lawyer do? Like, mm. what other job can I get? And the first thing that came to mind is, well, maybe I should be a mediator. Because I still, at some level, thought I was an expert communicator. <laughs> right, yeah. And because that's what so, you've done. Like, it's your, your, <laughs> that that's your, was your gift. Like, you sharpen that tool so much that that's, that, that just comes naturally to you. So you're well, thinking, you okay, ex- what was I using in communication? Yeah, you become an expert arguer, um, <laughs> an expert at point, proving your point of view. And, and although that... You know, that may work in the courtroom. It generally doesn't work in any other relationship that I've had in my life, mm-hmm. um, whether it's in the office, as an entrepreneur. And uh, so I, it's, it was the beginning of a journey. I ended up, you know, training as an executive coach. And it was when I, you know, first started that process, I, you know, people in the course of me, I just didn't understand the way they communicated. I was so used to coming from that place. <laughs> who did this and who did that? I know, because the coach has to sit back and ask the questions and not tell. Oh, and it was the, one of the hardest things I've ever done. And Complete literally, change. I mean, I would have quit if if I if I thought I could have. But I, I'm one of those people who I'll even read a bad book till the end because I just don't want to not finish something. So I was like, okay, I'm I'm in for this. I got to do it. But the cool thing was was when I was at this course, there was a really there were some really amazing people like my friends Ann and Steve who said, you know what, this woman's got hope. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to give up on her just because she's a lawyer and took me under their wing. And as I started to learn and started to change how I communicated, I started to see magic happen in my life. And, um, you know, little things can make such a big difference. Um, I was able to start talking about difficult issues with my husband and we were able to resolve them. And one conversation changed my relationship with my sister. And I just could not get enough. I just basically read every book, took every course, you know, kept learning and learning mm-hmm. and learning. And then I thought, this is amazing. And I, I want to share this with other people. And so that's what I've been doing. Mm. Because one thing for me is I sometimes found that when you took courses or training, so much was about, well, own your own stuff and, you know, take responsibility. And that's great. And I agree with that. But sometimes we just need to let people know. Yeah about things that aren't working. Sometimes we have to let people go. Sometimes we need to hold people accountable, especially as entrepreneurs when they're not doing the work they said they would do within the mm-hmm. time frame or within budget, you know, yeah. or some of those conversations yeah. we have to have with our family. And so sometimes you do need to let people know that, but how do you do it in a way where they're actually really going to hear you Yeah, and you can... Yeah you can really preserve that relationship or set mm. yourself up for the best mm. chances. Mm. So that, well, that's sort of been the journey. <laughs> mm. I, um, I learned at a very young age of 21 when I got thrown into this management job and I, I got chosen for this management position only because I was the most popular um, instructor. It was at a health club. And uh, I was I was popular. I was a popular instructor, and people wanted me to turn up to their um, to do their personal training. And I was just a friendly person. I had the most people in my classes. God knows how that made me the best <laughs> manager. I had no skill set for that. And I was asked to step in for for management. I was twenty one years old, and I was one of the youngest people there. And I remember. They, they actually brought a coach in to help with the sales and help with the business. And I was very lucky for him to take me under his wing. And I remember saying to him uh, in my first session, I said, I, you know, I've got all these women that are, you know, older than me. They're like 45 to 48. And uh, I don't know if they're ever going to listen to what I have to say. And I remember from that day, he started to teach me and groom me uh, in communication skills and how to have these conversations which were really difficult for me as a 21 year old to talk to somebody who 
is you know older more mature um you know would normally be my superior and here i am their superior with no experience of management um what what would you say is the biggest mistake that you see that people do um when it comes to you know having these difficult conversations or why they turn into a difficult conversation well i think the number one the number one biggest problem and it doesn't matter what your profession or your background or anything is that people avoid these conversations and they avoid them and they avoid them and they avoid them and they wait until things become hugely problematic before they deal with them and it's it's i just i see it happen again and again and again and what happens during that time when you avoid that conversation so even that situation when you're managing your 21 you see something happen you think well maybe I'll let it go for a little bit maybe I'll just see how things you know if 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 things change if they get better you know what happens is generally speaking they don't get better people are getting the message that everything's okay mm-hmm. that you know, business as usual but the you know whatever that might be and in the meantime we end up you know, we have a lot of like resentment building and stress around it and we're thinking about it and we start making more assumptions and it just makes things worse. So when we actually go to have the conversation, we're so, you know, it might be three months down the road, we're so upset. So much has built up. <laughs> and boom, it goes on like an atomic bomb. <laughs> it's hard for you to bring your best self to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that is the... I know it's not very sexy to say this. The number one thing is avoiding. And so often when I when I work with people, it's just flip that on its head, that whole notion of, you know, I would rather see somebody handle it poorly but deal with things as they come up because that's a way easier situation to deal with than leaving it to fester. Mm. And sometimes we look at things just from the perspective of, well, if I bring this up, what might happen? Oh, that person might be mad at me. Or maybe that contractor you know, that you're working with, maybe they'll put your stuff to the bottom of the pile, right? Mm-hmm. If you hold them accountable, you know, or, you know, maybe that person will, they won't want to be friends with me anymore. If I talk to them about being late, you know, for all of our get togethers and we go to that worst case scenario thinking. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I do, can- sorry, I do feel like I was blessed in the way at 21 to actually be in that position to then start to groom me to be able to have that and I do feel now I actually feel that I'm not a person that avoids it I feel like I do feel very comfortable in taking it on right away for me to be able to carry anything and carry that 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 pain or the 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 continual conversation in your head of how you think you're going to say it the quicker you can get it out (laughs) the faster you can fix it yeah everybody that ongoing chatter absolutely Mm. yeah and what would what would be like some some tips? Because for me, it was more learning the communication skills. Like I remember one of the tips he said to me. Um, this was my my coach back then. He said, you know, ask like say things like when you do this, it makes me feel like this, or when you do this, this is the effect that it has on the business. Or um, how many times will we have? Does this have to happen until it's going to stop? So he learned. He taught me how to do. Um, uh, questioning techniques that still held me in the power but it felt like it gave them the opportunity so it didn't then you know feel like I was attacking them and I felt like that worked really well but I'd love to know what some of your tips are or what some of the methods are behind the communication so it does land properly with that other person Okay. Well, I think one of the most important things is we, we to do some planning. And so when you really go into a conversation, you get really clear about what your goal or your bottom line is mm-hmm. so that you kind of have that in mind. So if you know your goal is to let that person know, say in the context when you were managing at a young age too, that there are some concerns around some of the things that they're doing on the job and that there, it needs to improve, then you're really clear that you've got some expectations around you know what you expect from them and the key is in terms of then going to craft that message is to really start thinking about well how do i describe this from a place of i right from what i need or what i want instead of making them wrong and you know it doesn't mean we don't ever use the word you but it's like you know i want to talk to you about some concerns i have about your performance you know i need you to know that here's the expectation or here's what i've observed about what's not you know what what the problem is mm-hmm. so it's coming from that place of being number one as factual as possible about what it is that you've observed right so the more factual we can be about the problem so for example if you have a website person i think everybody okay. has a website person yes 
in their yeah, lives. Right. <laughs> okay. And so we can be as factual as possible and we can say, look, I want to talk to you about, you know, how we work together. You know, I, the last three deadlines that we've set, you've not met those deadlines. And I'm really concerned because not only is this impacting, you know, my reputation in terms of, of having the kind of website I want, but I, I'm also concerned what, what it's doing to our, our working relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to talk about this. I love that. Now, you said keep it, it factual as well. Saying, Sorry, go yeah, ahead. Instead I just, of coming yeah. to of you didn't, you didn't do what you said you were going to do or you missed all the deadlines and I'm ticked off. You know, because what happens <laughs> if it builds, we sometimes go to that place, right? Or you're unprofessional or you're disrespectful. Mm, I love how you've written you in your... Uh, respect- <laughs> Yeah. Sorry, you written in your book, The I Statements, and you said, you know, sadly, these ones don't work. I think you're a jerk. I think you were wrong. I think you were unreasonable. <laughs> I love how you said that you've replaced it. And I, I, what I really love most is with women, and I'd love to get your insight on this, is do women have more emotional conversations because we are more you know emotional or does it just depend on the, the situations i love how you said like keep it quite factual you know we've missed this many deadlines and because we've missed this many deadlines this is the impact that it's had i love how you've put it like that because that sort of takes that emotion out so it can't flare up as much and you can't argue with fact it's well it's, some people will try All right <laughs> but it's much it's it's much um, it's much more difficult to argue with a fact. It's also if we go to that place, if we do want to share an opinion, we want to make sure that we own that opinion mm-hmm. because it's one thing to say um, you are disrespectful or that behavior is disrespectful to versus saying you know I believe that it's disrespectful. Then you're at least owning that opinion. Mm-hmm. I think when women get into, I mean, I don't know if it's women or men, there's there's nothing wrong with talking about how you feel about something to say, I'm frustrated, mm-hmm. I'm concerned, I'm worried. I think the biggest mistake that um, particularly women make is we go to that place of using the word I feel, and then we don't talk about a feeling. So we'll say, I feel that, you know, you need to respect this, or I feel that we need to talk about this, or I feel that. And then we follow it with, Uh you know, an opinion. And it just, if we're going to share an opinion, then it's much stronger to say, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. or I think, or I believe. Because what I've seen happen, I don't know if you've seen this with some of your your clients and the people that you're working with is when we use I feel a lot, then sometimes we'll get pushback and people will say things like, well, I can't help how you feel. That's mm-hmm. your problem. <laughs> and then we're standing there going, now what do I say? <laughs> yeah. So I think that there's we, if you're comfortable or you want to talk about feelings, I think you want to really own it and to come to that place of, you know, there's nothing wrong with it, but just be aware that the more factual we can be, the better. Mm-hmm. If you can talk about the impact on the business, I think that can be really powerful. Yeah, Sometimes sure. in your personal, yeah, in your personal relationships, you may want to talk about how you feel. Like I felt really hurt or disappointed, but just be aware that when you use that word "feel" a lot, you may get that pushback from people. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't help how you feel, and and so just a quick thing for everybody who's listening is if somebody says that to you, first thing to do is take a deep breath. <laughs> <laughs> Don't strangle them right away. (laughs) What you want to do is say, really? Are you kidding me? Of course I I should feel that way. And, you know, everybody in the world agrees with me, right? That, you know, you're not being fair, you're being ridiculous or whatever. That's what our gut wants to do. But if we just take that deep breath and just say, you know, I don't need to argue about my feelings. They are what they are. And we can just say to the person, look, you know, I get that you can't help how I feel. I just wanted you to know that's what's going on for me. Mm Mm-hmm. Back to ownership again. So you're saying like there's can- some steps there. It's planning, craft. Planning is the crafting the message. Is that right? Well, I think there's two aspects to planning, and that from my perspective, the first one is before I go into any difficult conversation, whether I'm talking to a family member, a staff member, or a contractor, whoever it is, a friend, anybody, I get really clear about what my goal for the conversation is. Mm-hmm. Because if I don't know what my goal is, so if I'm talking to that web person, for example. 
So my goal is to make it really clear that I'm on, you know, my goal may be to let them know that I'm not happy with the missed missed deadlines. Mm -hmm. And maybe my goal is to set some some expectations around that, knowing that if those aren't met, I'm going to take some other action. So I want to be really clear, or if I'm going to say no to something, I want to be really clear that, no, I'm actually not going to take on this particular project. And so I'm really clear about that before I go into the conversation so that if things heat up as they inevitably do, and if people react defensively or if they go on the attack or they start in with excuses, instead of getting pulled down all those rabbit holes and reacting myself, I can say, okay, breathe, right? My goal wasn't to get into a big, long conversation about whether my deadline, you know, mm-hmm. my expectations were realistic or whether this policy makes sense or whether my feelings are valid. My goal was just to let this person know the expectation, the impact, mm-hmm. whatever it is. The one thing to really watch out for, though, is there's this tendency people want the goal to be, I want that person to change. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And that would be nice. And people sometimes do change in response to to us. Yet if that if we if we have that as a goal in our mind, it's gonna come out in our body language and our language, and people dig their heels in if they hear they need to change or else. Yeah. But there may be consequences they don't. So that's the first part is get really clear about what your goal is. So it's something that you can help you to stay focused. Mm-hmm. And then the second is how can I craft this message in a way as much as possible that number one, I stick to the facts. Uh-huh. And that is not easy. You know, when you go to those places where you're saying disrespectful, unprofessional, inappropriate, those are judgments, right? Those That's how we see it. So it's like, what is leading us to say that this person's behavior is inappropriate, unprofessional, not acceptable, you know, all of those kinds of words. What are they actually doing? That's the thing we want to talk about, mm-hmm. right? We want to be as objective as we can. Sometimes subjective things come in. So that's, so sticking to the facts Coming from that place, like you talked about the I statements, you can say, you know, I felt or I was concerned when you did blah, whatever it is that happened. Mm -hmm. And then and share it that way. That's another way. You know, there's some different strategies. But I think the the two big ones are is that idea of really breaking down those judgments we have to what are the facts to talk about those things. Mm And then secondly is to to describe it or to share it in a way where we own it as much as possible from yeah. that place of I. I want to talk to you about something I'm concerned about. I want to talk to you about, you know, something that's been really bothering me. And, you know, when this or this happened, here's the impact, right? For me, or here's the impact for the team. And yeah, it's, it's just it's a powerful way to talk. And how much planning normally goes into this? Is this something that you could do when you say, you know, sit down, like what is the goal? Um, what are the facts? <laughs> what do I need to own when I come into this conversation? This sounds like it could be, you know, like a, a really just a quick five-minute activity that you could do just so you've got that clear, um, uh, that clear purpose and direction. Would that be safe to say or is it something that needs to be planned longer than that? I guess it really depends on the situation. I think a lot of times you can just grab a piece of paper. One of my yeah. one of my girlfriends, VP, who came to one of my workshops, and she does has to, you know, in that kind of a role, you have difficult conversations all the time. And she said, you know, the biggest thing I took away, Di, is I'm going to get out my piece of paper before I go into that important meeting, before I go to that conversation, and just kind of be clear about what my what's the direction I want to take. You know, what's my bottom line here? What's my goal? And that's it. And I'm good because she had all the language pieces. So it literally can be a minute or two at times that it takes you to get ready. It's mm-hmm. just giving it that focus. So you're like, okay, right. Um and you know, but some other conversations if you're worried about them, you know, sometimes those are the family ones. Sometimes they take you a little longer to think through because you have some some stuff to kind of like go of <laughs> yeah. before you have And I can imagine yeah. it can be even more heated. <laughs> sorry there's more of a chance to get hooked mm. in those situations right mm-hmm. to get pulled in to to some drama <laughs> yeah you know what i loved in the book you talk about the um the, the body odor <laughs> like how do you tell someone that's yeah. got bad body odor and think i worked in a health club i had to do it twice and i remember <laughs> both those times and the first time was um uh, with with a with a member and the second one was actually with the owner the owner himself 
So everyone would walk into the health club and his office was at the front entrance. And it would stink like it, this is a ladies only and it was a high-end ladies only health club. And you'd open up the doors and if he was in his office, oh, my gosh. And they were two really difficult conversations. And I wish I actually had the, 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 those steps that you say now because I remember um, I, I really did not want to hurt their feelings. Um, and I didn't know really how to say it. And they both felt like it came off okay. But um, And another time a lady was swimming in the spa with no underpants on. Oh, <laughs> I remember a member came up and everyone looks at me like, okay, this is your job. You know, what are you meant to do when it's something that it's so sensitive? It's something that is really, really sensitive, like the person's got body odor or there's like a real horrible smell that they've just always got on their breath or you know what would you suggest in situations like that those are the hardest ones but i guess i it's get in and get out don't 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 carry on you know and i've seen situations where people will everybody will know there's an issue with somebody with bad breath and nobody says anything and i just think you know if you were that person wouldn't you want to know Mm-hmm. And so we're just, and so I think it's just saying, okay, you know what, the longer this goes on, the harder it's going to be. I'm just going to get in and get out. Just say, look, you know, I know if this is me. I'd want somebody to tell me this is what I've noticed and just say it and just be done. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's so much more respectful. There's that tendency to lay hints and to start talking about your deodorant or your <laughs> toothpaste or, you know, <laughs> praying this person is going to figure it out and they don't get it. It's, you know, it's everybody else is looking, you know, kind of looking this way and that way thinking, you know, we, we all know who she's talking about. So I think, you know, there's no question. I think in some ways those are the worst ones. Um, but it is just a matter of kind of like, I, I thought you deserved to know. I know I would want somebody to tell me and just say it, mm. be done. Yeah. Yeah. Be and brief. I, I love how you just said just to stop the talking stop the talking afterwards like because that's when you could just feel like you're justifying and that's probably where it starts to feel worse for the person well it's already embarrassing and then if you start going on you know i don't think it's that big of a deal and oh how what are you doing this weekend and how are things going and the person is dying right oh that's hilarious that's really funny and i would i would say that's another big thing that we have this tendency to do especially if we've been thinking about an issue for a long time is we finally go to we get the we muster up the courage to have the conversation and then what happens is so interesting. People are, are mute for so long and then all of a sudden they start talking and they don't stop, right? So they start out beautifully like, you know, I wanted to talk to you about this concern I had. You know, we were in the meeting the other day and I was sharing something that was really important. I don't know if you're aware, but you stopped me and said, you, you know, you'd heard enough from me and I was really embarrassed mm. and I wanted to share that with you. Yeah. That would be a great place to stop. But what we usually end up doing is, and, you know, I'm not the only one who noticed, and I know it probably wasn't your intention to embarrass me, but I think, you know, I put a lot of work into that project, and which you asked me to do, and other people noticed it as well, and we just keep talking. Mm, yeah. And we're undermining the importance of our message. Yeah. And are we starting to... Because it dilutes more, it, doesn't it? It dilutes it. And, and a couple of things happen is either people are busy thinking about their reaction or their response to each thing you're saying. And the more that's getting piled on, the more reactive they're going to get. And secondly, they're not actually probably going to hurt the thing that was really important to you. Mm-hmm. And then thirdly, you run the risk when you do that of without even the other person uttering a word is backing down from the thing that you said. Right. Mm. You by the end you're like, don't worry about it. I think I was too sensitive. <laughs> yeah. all- and they turn up and they stink again. <laughs> like, oh well, she said it was okay. It wasn't like that bad. <laughs> she probably just got yeah, a sense of nose. Out of the meeting going, what did I just do? I can't believe I just did that. Yeah, so right? true. And, then, and I think especially women, we turn that in against ourselves. Mm. You know what? Just last two days, I've been doing training with a with a corporate client with all their team on behavior styles so the different types of behavior styles you've got your dominant behavior style that they just tell you it you know how it is it's you know water for ducks back once they tell you or they have a little argument you know they're on to the next thing then you've got the another behavior style that is you know the interactor the influencer they love people they're the energy house the powerhouse Um, And both of those two don't normally avoid confrontation. They'll handle it differently from what I notice um, in a sales. um, And this is why I teach it is either customer service or in sales. 
So, and then we've got the other two behavior styles that are more the introverts. You've got both of that avoid confrontation. One of them does go after the confrontation if it's anything to do with procedures, um, like you were saying, like factual conversations, um, anything to do with systems or a lack of process or breaking rules. And one just totally, totally um, will avoid confrontation like the plague. And when we look at the percentages of those behavior styles in the Western culture, it's like 40% of behavior styles in Western culture actually fall under this behavior style. And it's like the, the, the most where people actually do avoid the confrontation. Um, mm. And it's just quite interesting where your work would come in handy. I'd say that it's about as well, you're trying to help some people actually step in to have the difficult conversation and the ones that do have it, how do you shape it so it's not so attackive, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's really about, I mean, I think the thing I'm so passionate about is is empowering the, some of the people I've worked with and what's so meaningful about it is to really empower them to talk about the things that they want to talk about in a way that they really get the the results. They really they really have people hear them. They become the most confident version of themselves. And even as a confident, outgoing person, which I would describe myself as before I started to do this work, there was still those conversations that I would avoid, or I would go in kind of with the the aggressive lawyer style, which wasn't serving me, and it wasn't serving the relationship. So I think a lot of it's about really just help when you have those tools if you have tools for how am I going to put this message together Mm. how am I going to to do that in a way that the person's more likely to hear me do I have some tools to manage their reactions when they do get defensive or if they push back so that I don't end up getting going off track um then that's going to start to build that confidence and Mm. everybody can always finesse it and just take it to that next level you know whether even if you are really good at dealing with this stuff and so it's just it's just always just taking it to that next helping you to take it to that next level to mm. really to mm. really um, set up it actually the other beautiful thing is is it just creates so much trust if we handle these things in a way that's that's compassionate and honest. Yeah, and you know, this, yeah, it's so true. There's actually a study that shows from customer service the customers that do complain and that you handle that complaint um, and you're able to turn it into, you know, something good. They actually end up being your loyal customers and you end up having that deeper connection with that customer as well because now you actually have this trust that they'll be there for you, there to help you, but you're able to have that open communication. So if you look at it from a customer service perspective as well, um, and that's what we can look at because how many of us that are listening have customers and maybe you might have just that one headache customer. Every business normally has one customer that's a bit of a headache. And it's, again, how do we structure that conversation because we know that we want to be able to service them, we want to be able to keep that rapport, um, but we need to be able to teach them how to treat us or how to turn up to a situation because sometimes that they're you know, not communicating the way that we need them to as a customer, Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I mean, so there's kind of two aspects there. There's the whole, the whole thing that if there is a problem or if somebody has an issue with something we've done, if we can acknowledge that Mm. and we can be forthright about that, people are so appreciative, right? If we, if we can say, look, I didn't realize that's how it came across, or I can understand how that would be, you know, upsetting. Let's talk about what we can do, Mm -hmm. you know, from a customer's point of view, they're so grateful, or even, you know, in a context, if we make a mistake and we actually own up to it, people really appreciate it. Now, when you're the second case, sort of when you're dealing with somebody who maybe is that headache customer who is really, really difficult, I think what happens, we forget a lot of times with those people because they have that kind of prickly kind of personality that the thing that we, you know, that feels so counterintuitive, but is so effective is just give that person a little bit of space to have their moment, right? Mm-hmm. To vent, yeah, you know, and at sometimes, sometimes you do have to gently, you know, gently interrupt them, but just acknowledge, like, it sounds like you've got a lot of frustrations here. Or, you know, you've not been happy with a lot of things. You know, I really want to be able to help you here. You know, I want to be on your team. And one of the things that's really important is, you know, how we talk to each other. I find it hard to, you know, really be supportive. My team finds it hard to be supportive, you know, when you raise your voice or you start to use profanities. And so, you know, when you make these requests, this is what we need from you, right? We can go to that place. 
But I think what happens is we often try to jump into the end game part of it. Like this is what, you know, we can help you out, but we just need you to be respectful. Yeah. And well, this like- is why we did it. This is why this has changed or this is why we've changed our business hours. It's, it's interesting how quick they um, the staff members or even, you know, business owners, which are even more sensitive normally because it's, it's their product will mm-hmm. um and people don't want to, they don't care about the backstory mm, they don't necessarily exactly. know all that if they do they can ask you that but initially they're ticked off because now they can't reach you when they did or something is not available or you've discontinued a program that they loved or whatever it might be and they're having their moment and the more we can just get comfortable saying okay I'm let this person have their moment yeah and then i'm yeah. gonna acknowledge you know acknowledgement doesn't mean agreement it's just i'm gonna acknowledge like hey i hear where you're coming from it sounds like you're really disappointed i get that and, you know, we, it was a tough decision to make. And then you may then educate them about what's needed in terms of how you communicate or not, depending on the situation. But I think that's the thing. There is that, that place where we want to go to where we want to go, oh, but there's good reasons. And we went to a lot of process through thinking this through. And we really, you know, we know that this is what's best. And you're just going to love this new product. You're going to think it's fantastic. And it's going to be so much better. And they don't want to hear that at that moment. No, they just want to be acknowledged. And I love how you said that because um, <laughs> if you can acknowledge them first, acknowledge how they feel, look, I can I can hear the frustration in your voice or I totally respect mm-hmm. you feeling that way. You might not understand that they feel that way, but if you could respect it. I remember a lady uh, complained to a, a team member once and the team member in the middle of the lady complaining picked up her lip gloss out of the, the, the front counter and applied her lip gloss in the middle of the lady complaining. Oh, yikes. (laughs) And then she just went off. Oh, my goodness. And we went, oh, okay, need to do more customer service with this lady. She was only a young girl, but still, um, it's, yeah, it's been able to acknowledge the customer first, like saying, I totally respect that. Or even if we can do a mind read, like you're saying, like the word frustration, or I can feel the anger, or and just let them actually say it. Because sometimes we think that we know what the customer's going to say. And you can go into the I know syndrome, but because they haven't vented it themselves, they're going to feel either one interrupted, not heard. Um, and high chance, if it's a, a physical business where uh, your customers can actually be in contact with each other, like in courses, as in members or some type of a network, they'll talk. And what is what do they say? Like one, one angry customer tells at least 10 people. One happy customer mm-hmm. tells about three, but one angry customer tells 10 so you'd rather them actually vent it to you so then they can actually air it out and then go into that acknowledgement like you're saying and then being able to fix it. You could have the exact same result, but if you've given the person the space to have their moment, you know, and like you say, acknowledge how they're feeling. We don't we want to be careful that we don't say, Oh, I see you're angry or I get I see you're upset. We want to just check in. Like you said, I like how you said, I hear the frustration in your voice, you know. Mm-hmm. I can get that. Then they can correct you or, you know, I get the sense that that this is, you know, this is really difficult or, yeah. And just sometimes we can even acknowledge people, unlike putting lip gloss on while they're talking. I know. Just by being present, you know, just making the eye contact, nodding. Sometimes it's that simple. But it's really about, it's about people feel respected. They feel heard. And often the biggest complainers in our lives, we, we think, oh, my goodness, we see them coming and we want to run for the hills. And I, I, I really encourage everybody to even test this out on your most difficult relative. Do the opposite and say, okay, you know what? This person probably has not, nobody's really ever acknowledged what's going on for them. If I actually take the time to listen for a few minutes, mm-hmm. kind of get, you know, acknowledge where they're coming from, that sounds like a tough situation or I can understand or whatever, they're going to feel heard and it changes everything. And trust me, I've experimented on my family with this. <laughs> it works. Yeah, that's powerful. <laughs> Definitely. There's so many great tips. How can people get some tips from you? If you've got something that we can stay in contact and actually hear some of these continual bits of information, this is just stuff that we just continually need to be reminded about. Yeah, and, and different things come up. And absolutely, um, because I always want to make sure that there's ongoing tips. You know, it's never stagnant. Like you said, things come up and you, and you want to, you know, you need little ideas or refreshers or whatever yeah. it is, even mm-hmm. those people who are amazing communicators. And so what we do is every two weeks, we put out an online magazine. It's a two-minute takeaway tip um, you know, for those who want to get that, get sent to them regularly by their email. And it's just, it's a little video and it's just a great, easy, bite-sized tip that you can put into practice. And I've had some clients say, that's been the best thing 
for them. Just that two minute takeaway. You know, I have one woman I work with who had to deal with a really difficult client who would get very angry when things went wrong and she used to take it all on. And as he got boisterous, she would take all the responsibility and she'd end up doing all the work on these projects they were on. And as she listened to one of the tips, we had a tip about even when somebody's really reacting like in that kind of negative way, just imagine them even in an ice cube, <laughs> you know, just you just hold that space that you don't have to, you know. And she said she took everything she could not to just to hold that space. She was sort of smiling the next time it happened because she was so ready for it, saying, oh, right, I actually don't have to take any of this on. Mm-hmm. Uh, another one of my favorites is the Teflon suit. You know, if you know you're going in with that angry customer, you put your Teflon suit on. So not everything has to stick to you. So, you know, that's the kind of the, <laughs> that's one of my favorites. So it's, you know, it's a bunch of tips about how could you say this or how could you deal with that? So just, it's just in time, fun right. stuff, great reminders. Right. Yeah. So how do they get a hold of that? Well, if they go to our website um, at www.elephantconversations.com um, and there's like a, a roadmap there to get on, you know, to become part of our community. And when you get that, then you'll automatically, if you choose to be, so be on the on that mailing list where every two weeks you'll get that email saying, here's your two-minute takeaway. Fantastic. So elephantsconversation.com. I'll put that in the the, the blog post as well um, under Cashflow Candy. Everybody that's listening, if you're driving at the moment, you can just go to my website um, and go into the Cashflow Candy section and you can see Diane um, with the link there. Uh, just to finish off because you've gone through entrepreneurship and we, we understand that there's, you know, these, you know, mountains and then there's these valleys. What, are, what is a tip that you could give to say the, the, the female startup entrepreneur, she's got the business idea, she's putting things into motion. Um, and then the one that has now, she's got the business set up, she's got financials, you know, she's got the money coming in um, and to take it to the next level. What would be a tip for each of them? Well, I think for, you know, I think for both, actually, um, the, one of the biggest tips I would say is get a community, right? Whether that's being part of, um, you know, a, in a, through a networking or a big part of a mastermind or some kind of a community of people who know what you're going through, who can help you make some difficult decisions along the way and support you because it can be so lonely. Mm-hmm. And you know, especially for those initial people starting out, it's just like, Getting that support to to really help you when you have those, because we all have as entrepreneurs those dark days, you know, where you think, oh, this is just so difficult. And so if people have been there, done there, done that and can support you, I just think it's the absolutely the best investment you can make. And and to reach out, you know, if you meet those people that you have those connections with, yeah. to reach out and and to deal with the issues as they come up. And I think for the more seasoned entrepreneur, in many ways, it's the same thing. It's like to keep learning, to keep growing, because that's what keeps it interesting, mm-hmm. you know, is, and that's what keeps us, keeps us moving forward and coming up with new and creative ideas. Um, because things, just, you know, as entrepreneurs, the, the world keeps shifting under our feet. Um, so I think having those opportunities to really make the, make the time, especially for the season ones to do that networking, to be at, at those events and those things where you're going to connect with people and really keep your finger on what's going on and have that. It's really, it can really help keep things inspiring and, and keep you really forward thinking. Yeah. And like you're saying, always be learning. You'll always be learning. And you know, what we have now as entrepreneurs is just so much stuff that continually changes in the social media life. And most of us are building our presence online these days. Um, and to be able to stay at the forefront of that um, is just huge. You know, you, you always want to be the, the dumbest person in the room. So surrounding yourself with people that, um, you know, do stretch you or do stretch the mind. Um, we've got a, a, a mastermind community and it's quite interesting how you're saying like the being able to reach out and be able to share what you're going through in those startup journeys because one of the girls we hadn't heard from, she was great at the retreat and, you know, she made friends with everyone. I noticed that she hadn't been on the Facebook community and um, I just reached out to her personally and I just said, um, hey, just haven't seen you in the Facebook community. Is everything okay? And, and she texts back, oh, you know, I'm just so embarrassed the questions I need to ask because I just feel like, you know, I'm really just at the startup stage. And I said, okay, from now on, I want you to post at least one question a week. And then sure enough, that night, she ended up posting ideas for her, her logo, then uh, needed questions about the terms and conditions on a website. And it's just been able to be in that community because everybody in that community has either experienced 
what you've experienced, <laughs> what you're experiencing now, and they love, people love to help, um, or it just feels like that support where you're not alone in some shape or form. So I really appreciate you um, saying those two things because it's just key. It's key for continually just moving, moving on and moving out there. I think it also saves a ton of time and money because when you get that support, oh, yes. you end up not running down a path thinking, well, I don't want to ask anybody because I don't want to you know, feel stupid. So you run down this path. Trust me, I'm saying this from experience. I mean, so down this path thing and that's like wow this wasn't quite the right path to go and then you start running down another one and mm -hmm. so they you know asking those questions and whenever you think your question's dumb it's like actually about five other people are like oh i'm so glad you asked that question but yeah i think that piece is so critical that community of like-minded people where you can learn stretch grow and and share your your wins and your frustrations as mm. well diane can we just finish up this interview with your uh, book called The Elephant in the Office. And if anyone really wants some help with simple strategies, with difficult conversations, you can grab it on Amazon. It looks like it's $16.99. Uh, what made you actually write the book? What was the, the key driver there? The key driver with writing the book was I found that when I was going through the process of um, you know, trying to learn how to really relearning how to communicate, in those kinds of situations where, you know, emotions were running high and stakes were high and those kinds of things. So I was reading book after book after book, doing training after training, and it just seems so complicated and so non-accessible. And so I thought, I want to find a way to put this together in a little bit more of a light, fun way that people can actually take it, use it, and apply it and start to see magic. Because small things, small things make a huge difference. And sometimes people get stuck going, okay, I need perfection. Right? You know, I'm saying, well, I can't remember the seven steps. And it's like, you don't need perfection. If you just remember one of these things, it's going to be better than it was before. And you're going to build on that confidence. So that was a big piece of it. I wanted to share what I'd learned, you know, and try to put it together in a way that's, that was more accessible, that, that would just felt easier and, and that people could actually enjoy reading. Yeah. So that was part of it. And the second piece of it was, frankly, I was teaching a bunch of workshops and I was giving away a bunch of other people's books as prizes and things. And they weren't, they were good, but they weren't quite they weren't quite what I wanted. And so I actually thought, well, it's going to be easy. I'll just write a book and it'll be based on my workshop. Well, it, that was a lot more work than that. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, this is the elephant in the office. And um, if you are actually looking for it, um, elephant in the office, it's got the a big ass of an elephant on there. It's super simple strategies for difficult uh, conversations at work, uh, but also just in our personal life as well. Um, and that's by Diane A. Ross. Um, Diane, anything else you wanted to add about the book? I'm so sorry. I just realized I cut you off just then. Oh, no, it just the book is I mean, I think that the, the thing about the book, I actually still go back and refer to it. It's because I would often when I would <laughs> love it. And I'll tell you why. Not because I'm conceited and I want to see what I wrote. Because I used to, when I used to go to a lot of, I was part of a mediation group and a few different groups. Every time I heard something that worked really well, I would write it down. Mm -hmm. And then I would try, I would finesse it into my own words. And I would then put it in my book. And at one of my groups, they kind of used to make a little bit of fun of me. Oh, Diane's writing a book because she writes down everything good somebody else says and she's putting it in a book. So sometimes I need to remind myself <laughs> of some of those things. So yeah. I will go back. And especially there's a chapter on all the ABC, what I call ABC messages, accurate, brief and clear, the I statements and the sticking to the facts we talked about. And there's some examples there. So I will actually refer back to that. And a lot of times people find that as a handy reference. Yeah. Well, there's a testament to you and to, to your book, right? If you're able to go back to your own book, I actually do it with some of my own presentations. I think, oh, that was such a great presentation. What is it that I said? And I go back and I do actually listen and take the notes. And it's like I'm learning from somebody else. So I totally get that 100%. Fantastic. Diane, thank you so much. You've pumped out so much information. I know it's late over there. I uh, just want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Oh, it's been a blast. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Take care. You're listening to Cashflow Candy. Now, if you're a female entrepreneur, your business is growing, but you know that you should be making a hell of a lot more sales than what's actually coming in. And you want to do it so you don't feel awkward, don't feel pushy, and you're keeping an amazing relationship with your customers. Well, I invite you to the Herpreneur event. Check out herpreneur.com. It's filled with other like-minded women just like you wanting to make amazing money 
money doing what they love and having a whole lot of fun along the way. So please let me invite you to come along to Herpreneur event. Uh, Check it out, herpreneur.com. And I can't wait to see you next time on Cashflow Candy. Bye-bye.